This is March, and this is the A to Z podcast. I'm Zach Jackson. He's Andre Knott. We're at Akron Jackson, at Dre Knott on most of your favorite social media platforms. We're at A to Z podcast.com. We're at Facebook.com slash A to Z podcast. Cleveland Scene, the Honeymoon Grill, and American Fireworks. Always open at AmericanFireworks.com. Help to make this thing happen. Uh, Dre, I was violently hungover on Sunday. We dialed up honeymoongrill.com. There's a new drive through window. You don't have to go in. You don't have to interact. And that breakfast saved my life. I bet. I bet, <laughs> I bet, I bet. You know, it's amazing. Um, we both kind of got on planes about the same time last week. Uh, so for those that were looking for us, you went to Indianapolis, and I went to the Indianapolis of Las Vegas. <laughs> and, uh and I don't think either one of us even tried it. Usually there's a lot of text messages and messages back and forth between you and I. And half the messages we had between each other over the last 48, 72 hours were through other people making sure we were alive. Um, yeah. Even people showing up at baseball fields, even people showing up at baseball fields, telling either originally from Massillon that they, that they were told that they needed to make sure I was alive. I was <laughs> not really. And then Shout I told out them, to Mark. To back. Here's a middle finger. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I knew you had left for Arizona, but then I get in the combine cocoon, and, you know, I just kind of figured whatever. I, I didn't know exactly when I was leaving from there. It, it was dependent on a couple of different things going on. And um, I got home on Friday night. I tried to wind myself back into a real human, got some stuff done, um, you know, watched the combine workouts, caught my breath. And then Saturday, had plans. Um, the one time a year I'll be seen in public with Roger Lima. Um, we Ooh. got to the BW3s in Alliance, and they refused to change the TV for me, but they did have on spring training baseball, and it was pretty clear to me it was in Las Vegas, and I saw you on the TV, and I said, oh, Andre's in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's why he's so quiet. Never heard from him. <laughs> I thought I sent a picture to you. But I always do randomly send stupid stuff to you guys. I didn't send anything this bad. Like, Usually there's a picture or there's something to show how much of an idiot I am. Or no, was. you did, but I can't believe I didn't here's how it that. went. The last two nights in Indy, I was an idiot. So then when I was awake, I was either working or I made that drive home. And I made the drive home. I did the bare minimum things I had to do to catch up on life, and I went to bed. There was no phone, no TV, no computer, no nothing. <laughs> I just went to bed. So... Well, that makes sense. It makes me feel better. It makes because usually I know I usually send something completely ridiculous to you guys. I don't think I really did that. Probably because I had I had you know Matt Underwood and I had I had this conversation as we were waiting for our Uber on Sunday, and we were looking at each other wondering how we were going to go through four four hours of baseball. But and he made this point of and it's the total Vegas thing and the, and the combine could be this too. You're always excited to go and you always are like eh, let me do an extra day or let me do some extra time, and by the last. 12 to 14 hours in Vegas, you realize you didn't need that extra day. You didn't need that extra time, right? <laughs> it's like the enjoyment of the first 48 hours, first 24 hours of Vegas is something else. But the last 10 hours is regret. And I can't look into a mirror. And I hope my voice still works. <laughs> so I, I got no clue where Goodyear, Arizona is, you, but you flew to Vegas, right? Uh, I flew to Arizona, worked in Arizona, did a game Thursday, then I flew to Vegas. And Vegas okay, I just didn't know if you drove or, or if you flew, because I don't know where Goodyear is. So, Right, right, right. It's basically 20 minutes outside of downtown Phoenix. Give oh, okay. So you could do either one, but you drove, but you flew. Oh, yeah. Some people did drive. It's only like a three-hour drive. Right. That's, that's kind of – I've never made it, but I've had friends that have gone out to Phoenix for Ohio State games, and they've found it cheaper right. to – Flying to Vegas and drive down. So I was just curious right, about that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, you could do it, and if you and if you and if I had the right people, with the right group with me, I would. But you take it but you, at the same time. You take advantage of any time you can get a you know a flight. Um, especially the way I was feeling yesterday. The last thing I'd want to do is be in a car for three hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, of hangovers and us acting up, um, I was on Twitter this morning. Uh, I was I had a meeting and I was waiting for the person to meet with, and I was scrolling. And someone had posted a video that 20 years ago today, maybe it was released or it was number one, but Country Grammar by Nelly. So I'm going down, down, baby. <laughs> that took me to acting like an idiot in a lot of bars. So that part really and hasn't now in changed. Country concerts, isn't that amazing how old we are? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I saw Nelly in Las Vegas and didn't even realize it because <laughs> it seems like he's at that point in his life where he should just have his own, like you know, do that whole country grammar album. And most of us would remember every word to it and bring out the, you know, all the St. Lunatics. Yeah, the I mean, I can tell you, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, but I could right now if I had a couple drinks in me, I could I could give you every word of Country Grammar right now. <laughs> oh, no doubt. No doubt. Me too. Oh, that whole album was everything. Of course, I was, I, of course, I was, a, I wasn't going to, I was going to say smarter person, but not smarter. But yeah, I could do the whole, I could do the whole album as well. It's kind of scary to think that. Um, I got to say this before we talk any sports. Happy anniversary or happy birthday to the athletic. Sooner or later, you guys will get me a new hat, a couple new hats. I need them. Uh, I've been very good to you guys as a publication. I say your name more than I say any other name of people that actually pay me. Uh, so, therefore, congratulations to the athletic. I hope they continue to grow. Hope guys that aren't athletic at all, jobs, to talk about people that aren't fat and athletic. Um, but I appreciate what the athletic has done to the sports landscape. And I know there'll be some jackass that will text or email or tweet at me and say that they don't pay money to read. Well, I think that's more of your problem than somebody that you should be telling me over Twitter. Um, but I love what, I love what the athletic has done for me, uh, especially when I'm having those flights, like I did just, uh, coming out here to Arizona or even going to, to Las Vegas where I can save stories that I want to read and I can sit right there on my phone or on my iPad and read, um, decent, decent reading, about things I like reading. So happy birthday to the athletic. I think this is three years. I hope they make it 30. I mean, you, you just said it is almost like you were being paid to say it. Honestly, the best part of the app is the save stories feature. So you can get it when you're not on the internet, which, you know, in a lot of cases means airplanes, uh, at this day and this day and age, but there are right. other times you can't be online. And I take advantage of it every single time I fly, I hustle through and I mark stories and honestly, I've found myself losing valuable sleep time because I've been engrossed in the stories or catching up on the list before I lose it. So um, it really is cool. And uh, it's an honor for me. It's it's still a couple of weeks from me being exactly three years. But today uh, or yesterday, I guess, March 1st um, marks three years since it launched in Cleveland. We were the third city. We are now in over 50 cities. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been cool. I feel honored. Uh, and feel excited to continue to uh, have a chance to do good work and see where this thing goes. I mean, there were we were all together. They brought all the NFL writers and the college football writers uh, for separate meetings last week in and around the combine. Uh, you know, where we handled some internal business and then uh, you know kind of mingled together. And, and obviously, um, you know, that's what I do at the combine. It's it's a great gig. Knock right. on wood. Is you you try to go out and mingle and hear. Um, Let's play a little Glory Days presented by American Fireworks. Okay. I'm going to name you. Go for it. I'm going to name three former Browns players, all of whom we have laughed about in some form or fashion on this show before. And the truth is I hugged two of them last week. So you have to pick out the one that I didn't. Okay. Number one. Okay. Number one, Sean Thompson. Number two, Bubba Ventrone. Number three, Frisman Jackson. Uh, I would say the one you did not hug is Sean Thompson. I would You're say right. you did see Bubba <laughs> and you did see Friz. <laughs> but I knew Bubba was one of them. What is Frizz? Is Frizz moved up from being like the Southern Illinois quarterback Frizz, coach? Or Frizz was hired by Matt Rule as the wide receivers coach of the Carolina Panthers. I'll be damned. Good yeah. for him. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Uh, saw him in an establishment. Um, saw Bubba in a different establishment. Um, <laughs> saw Kevin Stefanski in the same establishment that Frizz was in. Um, saw Mike Pettin in that same establishment a couple nights later. Life comes at you fast. Uh, <laughs> the, the Browns are trying to, uh, to finalize, Dre, um, joint practices this summer with the Packers and that ties into this, this glory days story. Um, you know, part of the reason they wanted to do it, obviously it has to work. You don't, you don't want to have to fly across the country or anything, but you know, right, under Petten, right. they're a three, four front and the Browns are going to be a four man base front. So each team kind of gets a different look. Um, there were some relationships there. Uh, obviously the Browns have cleaned out the front office, but between the coaching staffs and they just thought it would be a good fit. And uh, yeah. So 
I saw Freddie um, at a restaurant. So I saw three former Browns coaches, uh, head coaches, uh, a lot of former assistants, obviously, because there's about 135 former Browns assistants at any given combine. No so kidding. to see them, all you got to no do is kidding. have eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll never forget the one time. I, who was he? What I was walking through the comp, and the Ryan brothers were wearing throwback jerseys. I want to say Rex Ryan was wearing Rob Ryan was wearing a Jim Brown throwback jersey at the combine. Oh, I didn't yeah. see him this time. I don't. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, but yeah, saw Frizz and saw Bubba and saw those guys and um, yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this about about the joint. And there's a couple of things off that about doing the joint practices with the Packers. I don't know if you found this story. You probably did or did not. Um, I want to say I want to give love to Hawk. The Tomahawk podcast may have talked about this, but when Pettin was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns and Shanahan was the offensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns, uh, and like I said, this is the Hawk story. Go check out their podcast. One of the best in the business of doing what they're doing. Um, but they talked about how, and Hawk talked about this, is how practices sucked because Pettin would like try to kick Shanahan's ass every day in practice rather than preparing for the game. And Shanahan would sit around, and this and this story was kind of told before the Super Bowl, because obviously, or this is because it was told told after the NFC Championship game, and basically Hawk was like, he knew the that because it drove them absolutely insane to practice against um, Pettin when they were all in the Browns, because Pettin and his crew of guys would basically stock up to beat the shit out of the Browns offense, and Shanahan the whole time would be like dude, we're trying to get ready for the Steelers and we're trying to get ready for whoever. And because of how they practice and how basically Pettin's defense at the time would basically stack up against his offense, everyone, Hawk basically told the story of, they knew that if they ever played in a real game, how they would attack Pettin's offense. I'm telling all of that is, is that really the team that you want to be going against in, in August getting ready for a season? If Pettin is still doing that type of shit defensively? Um, you know, you raise an interesting question, but I think, yeah, you know, if it all works out with the schedule makers, they're going to do it right off the bat, like the second week of camp. So, okay. Um, okay. you know, that's when you're fresh and you get work. And, I mean, I'm not speaking for Stefanski or anything else or anyone else, but I would think that's the work you get in that week instead of them playing in a game where in a preseason game you don't show anything live because that's the tape everybody gets, right? So, right. so yeah, to answer, I think that's, that's where you want that is the, the Browns feel like, the rest of the time they're going to be working against their own defense or for four-man fronts. They get that there, and then they got plenty of time to tweak it. I like doing it early, too. I just thought last year, honestly. And a lot goes into it, and the whole thing was a mess. But, you know, they went on the road to Indy. I think they left on Tuesday. The game wasn't until Saturday. Um, then they came back and practiced for like two days and then went to Tampa where it was approximately 1,000 fucking degrees. I just think that <laughs> they got – exhausted which happens in training camp and and i i don't know that they ever got their swagger back and you know maybe they never had it and i think the fake fighting and all the bullshit that they went on right went, went through was part of it but I, I remember watching that tampa game being there saying it doesn't matter it's the preseason and you're not showing anything anyway but this team is so lethargic and so like not with it you know, and then you fast forward no. like 11 weeks later and Freddie's sitting up there at the podium dead serious saying, well, we're just becoming a team. Well, no shit, Freddie. It's Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? So I think you, <laughs> you do this right away, uh, and it was always going to be this way because uh, Justin Bieber's doing a concert during the first preseason week. Um, it's We're going to have to wait. I thought that cancer – Wait a minute. I thought that cancer got canceled. It got canceled. Easy for you to say after we a weekend we in Vegas. Like <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no it didn't. We need it, Ben Axelrod. No, well, at there least was, to my knowledge, it didn't. No, I'm not up on the Justin Bieber tour scene. But anyway, so the Browns do this. They'll go away. They'll play the game. And then the next two will be at home because it's their turn to go to Detroit for the final one. So, you know, you get your good work in. You get your groove in then. And then you kind of point towards it. So I, I like to set up a lot better. I like it too, and look, there's a lot of teams that have overcome way way less or way more. It is amazing that the Browns continue to bring in head coaches that don't know how no, don't know what the best setup is or was, and this isn't the podcast to kill them. Um, I don't like you said if it's early in camp, sure. Um, it does have a bad taste in my mouth from what happened in, with Indianapolis last year because 
Um, the leader of the ship didn't really totally understand how to get his team ready for it, and it, and it showed a lot of the problems that were going to come later on. Uh, but you do have to go off the timing of what training camp has, and sometimes you don't get it doesn't run exactly how you want it to run. So I get that, I, I totally do. Um, but I would be careful with it. Is all is all I'm saying is if that makes sense, uh, especially against somebody like Patton, who I said that story popped up in my head instantly. Um, how they would game plan against their own freaking offense, and it, and that's just something that you just don't hear very often. Um, but if you do it the way that they have it set up, then you should be good to go. It shouldn't be a problem at all. What's the biggest story that came away? And you're right, right now I'm looking it up. You can buy Justin Bieber tickets still at First Energy Stadium for August 14th. Uh, I ain't buying them, but that's still a possibility to do that. You only um, go to Imaginary biggest, Dragons concerts. You don't go to Justin Bieber concerts. Uh, I, yeah, and, they, and I don't pay for them either. I go when it's free. <laughs> free is for me. <laughs> Panera and Imaginary Dragons concerts uh, where you'll find weird white people and Andre. <laughs> Man, no, you'll find man, it ain't weird white people there. Weird white people are at the bars you go to and in, in the and your little uh, your little stomping grounds that you call home. Uh, you get you get a lot of milfs. You get a lot of milfs and people at the imaginary dragon concerts. Now, be nice, be sweet to those people. And only so many people can listen to that type of music and still claim it. Um, did Stefanski talk at the combine? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I yeah, he did. I didn't keep up. Um, they both, he and Barry both did uh, their 15 minutes uh, on the podium, and then they did side with the local. Um, they were bound to determine not to say anything, you know, which is their right. Um, you know, there's not exactly a game on Sunday, and we weren't asking for either the nuclear codes or the game plan, so it was a little frustrating. Um, right. But um, you just hope that the answer is we're not sharing because strategically there's a lot that goes into this, which in free agency, it does. You always have to have three free agency plans because there's so much that's out of your control, right? Regardless of who you are, but you have to hope that they want to just really organizationally want to keep it under lock and key rather than the answer being that they don't know. (laughs) Which we've been there. Yeah. Yeah. That's nor here nor there. Um, is there a player that you guys interviewed or somebody that stood out that your first thought was this guy would be the perfect guy for the Browns right now? Because uh, obviously I saw the big lineman. I saw the big lineman running, and that was a terror. That was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I I would t- – to your specific question, I would say no just because I'm not going to claim to be any kind of offensive lineman expert. Um, I made sure right. that, that I was up on – I think it was Wednesday morning, first thing, and in position because I wanted to see – the Beckton kid just walked by among other huge people and just kind of see him up close because six, seven, three forty six, you know, or three fifty four, yeah. whatever he was, three sixty four. I, I, I had it uh, backwards the first time. Um, it, it's hard to believe that that was a 20 year old human being, um, but it is. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then I, I only saw Worf's kind of from a distance, but then I saw the workout uh, parts of it right. live and the, on the whole thing on Twitter. Um, you know, he was a state wrestling champion. He was a uh, shot and disc guy. Um, you know, Beckton could dunk the basket. I mean, these guys, they just, they're not normal humans. They're phenomenal. Um, no, not at all. So again, you know, who and what is the best fit? And, you know, a part of this too, Jerry, is, you know, Worf's just turned 21, and Becton turns 21 the week before. Uh, you know, Becton essentially played two and a half years of, of high-level college football. Worf's played three at Iowa, a place where they've obviously gotten a lot of uh, offensive linemen ready to be really good in the NFL. But right, you know, sure. you're you're this is a big ask. I mean, probably the Browns are going to have one veteran tackle and one rookie, and all, of all that whole group of the six or seven guys that are expected to go in the first 50 picks. Only one of them was a senior. So all the rest of them have only played either two or three years and are going to be asked to come right in. So, um, you know, that's a big ask. Certain ones can do it. Certain ones are ready. But as you look at this roster, especially with Greg Robinson going to play in the penal league, um, there's nobody – there's no (laughs) tutor. There's no stopgap, right? There's, hey – Congratulations! Welcome to Cleveland. The Browns traded down and picked you, and and you're starting right away. Which which for some places is great, and and when you pick a guy that high, it almost should be that way. But you know, growing on the job can get your quarterback killed. Yeah, um, everybody fell in love with the guy from Clemson, and uh, I think we already knew we were going to be in love with him. Didn't he? Didn't he run like a four three? 
Um, four three and nine. We don't know what position he yeah. is. Four three nine, which is unbelievable. Yeah. He doesn't. He still doesn't have a position. Um, I swear. I and and look, neither one of us claim to be gurus of figuring out the draft. But when I see the size of that kid and I see what how he can play, on one hand, I think he should be. You should try to make him to the next Ed Reed. But then I think he's too tall. Then on another hand, I think he's almost making it play um, defensive end. I don't have – obviously, I don't have the best position for him. Um, but he doesn't make it to 10, right? <laughs> I guess that's well, the I, I'm not – it doesn't seem that way because he's not just a numbers guy. I mean, if you watch Clemson all year, he was flying around decapitating right. people. Right. But as people will tell you in the NFL, if you're not a corner or you're not an elite edge rusher – then you might make it to 10 because that's just the value of, of right. those spots. And especially in a draft where there's a lot of quarterbacks and a lot of teams that need offensive tackles, specifically left tackles, that money position, um, I think there is a chance that, that he makes it to 10. I really do. And then it gets interesting, right? Well, if he gets to 10, I take him. Uh, just because if I'm the Brian, look, I know they need tackles. And look, and because of what you just said, tackle, you may get a good tackle in the second round. And the Browns should have, and we don't. We're not going to do a whole draft show here. But the Browns should have enough that they can move around in the draft because anyway. And but to me, if that kid is there at ten, you take him. And I don't think he will be. Good tackle with their second round pick, especially if these quarterbacks go as high as we all think. We all we've all seen this happen: a run on quarterbacks, a run in corners, and maybe a run on tackles. But usually. Um, the quarterbacks will push back very good players if you know how to draft and you're, and you're prepared and you're not afraid of the situation uh, and you haven't been – and I'm not going to say anything bad about it. I was going to make a joke. The right teams can be patient enough to get their guy, whether it be the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. We've watched uh, New England do it for years where they trade back and use their second-round picks. I understand the tackle is a much-needed position for the Cleveland Browns, but I wouldn't be dead set, hand over foot, I have to do it in the first round because of some of the other talent that's out there. And I, you just start thinking about, you get Miles Garrett right, and you put this kid with Clemson on the field together with him, um, and you can stack them up by, with, with him behind Miles Garrett, how the hell are you going to block those two guys? I just think that you could just, the creativity you could have with a guy like that, um, a true Swiss Army knife on defense and having a guy, um it gets me excited because great teams can use those type of players the right way. Yeah. Um, you know, tackle is important. And the best thing the Browns can do is they try to get Baker Mayfield back on the, the track headed upward is, no to take, is to take care of him. Right. But I mean, I don't know what's going on with this linebacker spot. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that anybody does to go back to a discussion we had about five minutes ago. <laughs> but I do know that Lamar Jackson's not going anywhere. And I do know that if you're ever going to yeah. have a competent team that, can't, that can get out of its own way and can play significant games um, from Thanksgiving on, they're going to be played in nasty weather. And linebacker matters. It, it truly does. I, I it does. totally it does. get and understand and stand with that person that said if you're not a top-shelf corner or a top-tier elite rusher that you're probably not going in the top ten. Right, But linebacker still matters in football. And if Schobert walks out the door, the Browns have exactly about half of a linebacker that I trust. Well, I, I, the Schobert conversation keeps coming up, and it's like, I don't hate Joe Schobert. I don't. But he's not a difference maker, Zach. He make, like, he's not – like okay, if you have him – I don't know. You could say that he won two of their games for him last year, so I'm not sure I buy the difference. He's not a difference okay. maker. Well, I wouldn't go all the way there. He made a couple plays. He's not – He's a good player. He's an average player, and I and I, and I, and I, I hate doing this because okay, okay. I don't like talking about bad about about competent players. But you can't sit here and tell me that if you give him twelve million dollars a year that you're that you got a difference maker. All right, for for the for the sake of this it. argument, for the sake of this argument, I'm going to say I'm going to agree with what you just said. He's an average player. Okay, so let that's true for for this argument, whether it's true or not. He calls the signals. He never leaves the field. Mm-hmm. He's been injured one mm-hmm. time. There's nobody out there in free agency better than him. So is, agree, he, your, agree, is agree. he your average player? Or can no. you really do it? Do you really get better by not paying him that number? Well, that's, is he deserving of that contract? Pro, yes. I won't say that he is not. 
All I'm saying is I don't think he – you just made the point. Lamar Jackson ain't going nowhere. And he can't – he's not – and that's not the only player that you're building your defense for. Sure. There is a place for Joe Schobert. I'm, but I can't pay him twelve. I can't pay him ten to twelve million dollars, knowing what I'm going to have to pay my quarterback, my 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 end, uh, knowing that I'm going to have to probably play my corner back big money in, in a couple of years as well. I just don't see. Like, look, you should be able to know what you want defensively in the draft, and you should be able to go on a draft and find linebackers that you can plug in. The position is important, whether they're undersized guys, whether they're. Well, there's just a, like I hate that they don't have anybody 245 that can bump. But once again, you you need a guy that can be. I, you need someone like Schobert, but I need somebody better. And he missed the tackles this year, and I know he hasn't missed games. And I hate to say this because this is what used to bother me about when people would say things like this. But because of the position he played, Kirko is the same thing. Kirko never missed a, missed a game, right? Never missed a play. Yeah, but I, I think Schobert is so much more a valuable player than Kirko. I'm not wait wait. See, I'm not talking about players. I'm talking about how many plays does he have in his body? You know, like we was one time we sat here and say, hey, the one thing we know about Kirko is he never misses plays. Not his fault, but his body has failed him the last two and a half years. You're telling me Joe Schobert's never going to get hurt after playing all the plays and all the snaps he's played? Okay. I'm just saying if you're in a, if you are in if you are in a room and you got to make that decision about giving him that type of money, and I hate using it against him, but it, I'll use it against him. Okay, he hasn't missed any games. Yes, he's shown up. Yes, he's done those things. But at that position and that many tackles and what you need from him, it's, I can guarantee he ain't going to play that many games over the next three years just because just that's what happens. I'm not wishing it upon him. It's what happens. Okay, I buy most of what you just said, but I don't understand how the Browns get better from letting Joe Schobert walk out the door for nothing. Well, Mac Wilson better ever get better in his second year. And – left Alabama like I, I tend to agree with his coach you drive there's got it like I said there's got to be people in that building that can find you've changed defenses 50 million 11 times there's got to be a guy that knows the type of guy you need like that's like that's been the biggest I, I don't like I said I don't hate Joe Schobert I just don't see he's not Luke Keekley. Um there's only about five guys that I would pay that type of money and he ain't one of them okay so what are you going to do with the money I guess is what I'm asking you go find a linebacker that fits the defense that you're playing. You go for the, he's out like that's their job. You go find it in the draft. Okay, you go so draft someone and you. No, listen. If you're going to take Isaiah Simmons, then I'm fine not paying Schobert twelve million. Oh no doubt. If that's the case, well, you absolutely do it then. Right. I just. But I, if you're going to take Tristan Wirfs or Jedrick Wills, then letting Joe Schobert walk does not make you better. I can make the argument that even if he's an average player, makes you exponentially worse. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be in their situation because I and, and I like I said, I have nothing against Joe Schobert. I like him. I like him as a person. Um, I just don't think that he fits. Let's see who will give him the money. I'll turn it around. Let's see who will give him. Somebody will. But what defense does he fit into? Now, if I got a thumper on the outside, an outside linebacker, because he can't, uh, then maybe it, if it's yeah, you know he's, what, he's a two hundred twenty-five pound maybe. linebacker. He's not for everybody. That's for sure. Right, exactly. And maybe if and maybe if Christian Kirksey doesn't get hurt over the last two years, maybe the production is different, and maybe I see Schobert as a guy that I still would want. But I think he got exposed a little bit, and and, and we can brag about his stats and never leaving the field and everything else. A little bit of that came into that they didn't have another veteran that they could place next to him. And I was almost going to say something, but I'm not Tony Grossi because we all know he's a piece of shit. But I was, oh, you know, the, the rule we always make. There's something about being the tallest. You know what in the room. I don't mean you're the greatest. You just might be the tallest. <laughs> all right. So there's the elephant in the room. Um, earlier, you started to ask me what what was the story at the Combine. And the God's honest truth is what you just said. That's all anybody was talking about for three days. Anybody. I'm sure. Writers, coaches, scouts. <laughs> people that worked in Cleveland before for a year or for a day or for 10 years um, in the hallway, in the convention center. That's what people wanted to talk about at dinner. It's what people wanted to talk about at after dinner at the after party at the after after party. That's what anybody wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure hey, I benefit before you go on. Uh huh. Same in Arizona, same in Arizona. Continue. 
Um, I'm not sure I benefit from talking about it. Uh, I'll say this. You don't, and you never have. You yeah. don't, you never have, and you let me say what, what, I, what I feel. But go, um, you say your part, and I'll say my part. I'm not going to tell. Well, I'll throw it back to you, and, and, and I'll let you um, run with the ball f- from here. But how about the person that sent us the <laughs> screenshot of the text? I think the guy's name is Marvin. <laughs> he said, I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. A to Z podcast used to call Manzella a fucking midget all the time. I mean, I laughed for an hour. <laughs> I know, and I didn't. And I, was like, I don't know if it's true or not, but probably. That's pretty damn funny. Oh my god, so funny. Um, it's unfortunate. Number one, uh, it's unfortunate because just the rules of the game, the rules of, of what we do. Look, we all have opinions, and we're entitled to them, but we have to have some public discourse and handle ourselves the right way. And I hope younger people learn from this. Um. That guy, um, I'm not a fan of, and I've never, I've never covered that up. I wanted to, I wanted to be. I, I, mean, I think in my life, I go out of my way to try to get along with people and respect people that have come before me. Um, and he never gave me that, that discourse. And I find it funny. And this is on a personal note. I find this funny is that, and I told this story. Tony and I had it out probably 16 years ago um, when Gary Baxter went at him, when Gary Baxter was coming back. And Gary Baxter didn't like any of his questions. And Gary Baxter was reading right through him. And Gary Baxter basically Jesus toned him way back then. And afterwards, rather than realizing that, and look, he's not the worst person in the planet. Um, covering that team has done this to him. The competition or lack of competition, not being pushed within his own building. I think there's a lot of other things that go towards it. Um, but his reaction when Gary Baxter didn't like all of his questions and kind of fed back at him was not, looking in the mirror, but attacking me, who was in first job or second year as a reporter on the beat and trying to claim that I was telling players what he was saying about them um, in the, in the media room. And Mike Snyder, who I love dearly is one of the nicest men in all of sports and all of Cleveland was is still pissed to this day that Tony Grossi talked to me the way that he did and the way, what he said. And my dad flew out to Arizona with me last week and he had brought his best friend. I'm like, you know, turning jokes on people. And I hadn't even thought about it. And my dad goes, after he read the story and, and we all kind of chuckled and I showed him the text and I showed him the text that you just brought up. And he looked at me and he goes, did you guys really say that about, about Manzo? And I was like, anything's possible with our podcast. <laughs> um, but my dad looked at it. My dad looked at his best friend and he goes, you want to know what's funny? He goes, this asshole used to look at my son and think my son was telling players how much of an asshole he was. He goes, but look, he just showed him what, what, what kind of asshole he is. And he goes, it's going to come back on him 10 times harder than what he did to my son. So if I held a grudge against Tony Grossi a little bit over these years, I don't respect him because he didn't respect me. And what he did is unfortunate because we all say things or we all feel a certain way. Um, but it's unfortunate because that play, he's been allowed to represent a lot of places that probably should have checked him way before now. Um, there's a lot of other things I could say, and I'm trying to, I'm being very diplomatic um, as I can be, but I I shed no tears, but I think as reporters and everyone else out there, check yourself because it can be any of us that can make that type of mistake, and you never want players or you never want people that you cover um, to think you don't respect them, and and because we want to be respected, right? And and I and I've always tell players this as well: if you got a problem with something I've written, something I've said, say it to my face. Don't talk behind my back. Um, and I've had guys yell at me and call me out for shit that I've said or shit that I've reported. I've had players, I've had Francisco Lindor run out of the clubhouse during a game and yell at me about stuff. Now we laughed about it because he knows I respect him as a human being. So I think to me, stop all the mean tweeting at him. He's got enough issues. Let him get over his own life. I would just say as people talking shit about people behind their back and say it to him, what's the worst thing that can happen now has the quarterback, that he talked about been professional to him? No. And I blame that on the Cleveland Browns. The Browns, I think, is a, is a PR department. Um, you have to find a middle ground. This, this, this business isn't about kissing each other's ass. This business isn't about making each other friends. But when you have to work together and have to be, and we have to tell your story, as an organization, I feel like the PR staff a long time ago should have put Baker and Tony in a room and said, you don't have to like each other. 
you don't have to have be fun, have fun with each other, but we have to find a respect level between you guys so he can do his job right and so the story can be put out right. And they both have made asses out of themselves because of the other one, and I think that's the part that's unfortunate. You know what I think is interesting? Um, this Houston Astros story. What's that? <laughs> um, it was a day in Twitter history. <laughs> um, yes. yes. No, uh, hey, I, we didn't script this. I knew most of what you said. I guessed most of what you said is what you're going to say. Um, I'm going to leave it at that for now because – I just, you, don't have, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help me, quite honestly, to lecture either the people who really tweet and say reckless, ridiculous things and, and claim and, and bang the drum for new media members, but don't have any of their facts right. And it certainly doesn't right. help me to um, complain about how a strained relationship would affect the rest of us because I've done that and it doesn't, it hasn't changed. So we'll see how this turns out. Uh, that That's really you know, all I think I right. should say right now. Number one rule though, that we've all, we're all taught that we've been put in front of a microphone, never make the mistake of saying something stupid on it. Cause you should always consider it to be a live mic. You had a, you had a situation with Steve Amiosic where that live mic got yep. you. He heard you, and we turned it into the funniest thing ever. I've done it as well. It's a part of the business. I have said stupid shit that you that you don't think everybody's going to hear, but they hear. My luckiest thing that's happened to me, fortunately, and I'm not going to wood, is that broadcasts that matter, thank God no one has heard me say fuck yet. Um, and that was a good reminder for me, and I'll take it from a veteran reporter who's done it for years longer than me, be careful putting your foot in your mouth because the one time you think no one's listening, everyone could be listening. But and, and, I, and like I said, I'm trying to stay diplomatic about it because there's so much more I could say and there's so much more I will say because I really don't give a shit. And that's why I tweet. And that's why I tweeted afterwards for a guy that just blocked so many people and a guy that's walked around like his shit doesn't stink. It was like and I had multiple people say this to me and I said it. His uh, his apology was hollow. His apology was bull, was bullshit to me. It's like he banged it out because he embarrassed himself and he probably lost his job. And it's like, look, dude, you basically told everybody to fuck off for years and that you thought you were so much better than everybody else and you could block people on left and right not to read your articles, but that's the complete opposite of what you need to be doing so people will actually follow you and believe in you. So when Vince, when Vince Cellini, who I respect and like, and Vince and I, and I have a ton of respect for Vince, but when I see Vince and Bruce Hooley and say, well, well, he's a good person, or he's written for 30 years. Well, he's been a good person to you guys, but he's been a fucking prick to most other people, so he doesn't get the basis of somebody giving him a chance. And, and yes, he's a good writer, but you know what? It's hard to respect him and hard to like him when he goes out of his way to be a dick to people. Sure, I have people blocked. Sure, I have people muted. But you don't go out of your way out and do it, and you don't go out of it. Like, it, it's just... It's counterproductive to trying to be productive in this business, and that's the last thing I'll say about it. Well, this business has certainly changed. Twitter has changed a lot, right? It's changed how news breaks. Yeah. It's changed uh, how certain people in our field are viewed. It's it's changed how certain people work. Some people just write on Twitter, more or less, right? Right, right. Um, you know, some people, you used to do all these different things to get people to find your work and now you just tweet it <laughs> right hell some, sometimes you just go live on instagram or twitter i don't know does twitter have a live button i don't know um i don't know but it's certainly changed his career <laughs> and um well that's what you know and that's the unfortunate that's the unfortunate thing that's what people are going to remember him by now he's going to be yeah. remembered by a dm that he didn't know how to dm and by that and that's unfortunate because there's way more in life that he should be known for, but that's what he's going to be. He's written his own. He's written his own yeah. book. I hope he blocked. Well, him. yeah, right. I mean, listen. Uh, I was in the aftermath of it, um, whatever day it was, and it doesn't matter. It was a week ago now. Um, you know, I, I was. I devoted several hours that I should have been working to, um, talking about it or reading about it or following columns on TweetDeck. 
And uh, I was rather appalled at, at some of the things that, that people said, although that's par for the course, and that's another that's why I say Twitter has changed everything, you know, because it's all there for you, right? To, right. to be seen. The good, the good, the bad, and the super ugly. Um, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I think it was a bad look for, for a lot of people and, uh, I hate that it happened and I selfishly and for my peers and for my job and for the ongoing relationship between readers, tweeters, followers, subscribers, whatever, I feel like this is something that, that really um, could have long-lasting effects. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we definitely will. We'll definitely and we'll, we'll definitely see what happens. Um, you want to do baseball second and get out of here? Yeah, uh, this is the Baseball Minute with Andre Knott. It looks like it'll warm up this week. Looks like Cookie Carrasco will finally get on the mound. Uh, I believe also, uh, I just watched him walk by me and get in his car. Um Mike Clevenger is closer to being healthy enough to start throwing. He started his throwing program. I, it, tr- spring training is just like training camp. It's exciting for, for it's the beginning of the season. Exciting. Like it was cool to have my dad and his best, my, his best friend out here. Cause they were excited. Like little kids just to hear, you know, hear the ball hit, hit the bat and hear guys playing catch for people that report on it. People that like us, um, it's groundhog day and you're trying to find stories. Shout out to Zach Meisel. Um, he's got a story that's coming out on the athletic later on this week. And we were in the clubhouse and I won't give it all away um, because I know how writers are about this type of thing, especially the two Zachs that I talk to the most. Um, I'm talking to my camera guy from Fox eight about a story that I think I want to do on a local kid. And I won't say, and he goes, that's a great idea. And I talk to the local kid and I tell him, Hey, I'm going to, I want to do this, this, and this, and uh, we're going to send it back. And, and, you know, and I go, we're going to blow you up. And he starts laughing and Meisel looks over at me and he goes, what day you plan on running that? And I'm like, why? And he goes, because I already got that story written. And he goes, and that'll just screw up my whole week if you beat me to it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you got to tell me when you're running it so we can drop it on the same day. Um, I guess what I'm saying is for us as reporters that are trying to come up, and, and I give Meisel a lot of the sheet, he usually goes outside the box. And the athletic has done a great job of allowing him to write outside the box to give creative writing and creative stories. Um, but I guess my real point to this is, we're all at that point of spring training where there's no stories to be broken just yet. <laughs> so it's like we're pushing each other's creativity and there ain't much being pushed right now. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's my genuine question is I, I've covered preseasons in the other sports. I, I don't know what a spring training is like. So like, you know, are you seeing growth in the baseball team? Are you seeing certain players knocking on the door or are you just like everybody putting in their time right now? And then you we'll, we'll see how it all works out. Yeah. Later. Yeah, you know, this sport is so hard because, yeah, obviously you see guys. I mean, first you go through the period of time where you see guys for the first time since you last saw them, you know, in September. Uh-huh. And you can tell where certain guys and, – and, and it's part of it. And, and it's kind of guesswork, I'll be honest. Like Oscar Mercado and Shane Bieber, for me, are two great stories. Um, now everybody knows them. Well, I found out who Oscar Mercado was last year at this time when he wasn't on the – he wasn't an invite. He got pushed. He got turned. You know, he was one of the. He was playing in late in the games. We were tweeting about him. We didn't really know him because he got traded over at the trade deadline the year before. Um, but he was still very to himself when you interviewed him and talked to him. Really nice kid, but didn't say a lot. You could just tell he wasn't comfortable yet. I just did an interview with him today. That's going to run on Fox Eight later this week, and he's had his number retired at his high school. Um, he fits in now, you, and, and I, I'm, I guess you would have better words. You know what it's like when a rookie, the difference between a rookie and an NFL locker room and an NBA locker room to when they walk in and they feel like it's, they, they belong. Oscar Mercado belongs now. You know what I mean? Like he walks – not that he's arrogant, not that he's cocky, but he knows where his, where, where his car is parked. He knows where to get his bats taken care of. And I think that shows out in the field when he goes out to batting practice or play. So you hope that plays along with him growing. Shane Bieber, I love this story because it's so real – and it's the coolest thing about spring training after I tried to make it not cool. A couple of years ago, basically to give a, the complex, and I'm in it right now, has about six to eight feet. And the main ones, like fields one, two, and three, are basically big league fields. But the minor league fields way in the back, it's a further walk. Um, and all the minor leaguers are now in the camp now. Um, and three years ago, during spring training, 
Corey Kluber was throwing like a simulated game on the back fields here um, on one of the minor league fields. And because of Shane Bieber's last name, obviously um, that name stuck out. I didn't know how good he was as a pitcher, um, but you saw his name and he was sitting on a bench with a couple other minor league guys. And they were sitting on a bench watching Corey Kluber throw a simulated game three years ago. And because of the name, I think, um, I think Jordan Bastion, who worked for MLB, who's now working for MLB in Chicago, he took a picture of it. And the picture originally was just to show Kluber, Kluber throwing a simulated game. But the name Bieber happened to be in the background. And because it's Bieber, and this is the most Bieber has ever been said on this podcast, I'm sure, by the way. Um, the picture kind of went viral because everybody's like, oh, you know, they've got the singer, they got the pop star on their team. Well, I brought that up to Shane Bieber today, and we both chuckled. You know, even a year ago, Zach Meisel and I were sitting in the in, in the in the um, press box when Beaver was pitching, and the scout basically said to us, "If this dude is your number, if, if this dude is a number five starter for the Cleveland Indians, they're gonna have the best rotation ever." Well, obviously, we know what happened last year. You get all the injuries in the rotation. He ends up being the MVP of the All Star game, leads the team in wins and strikeouts. And now, like I brought up that picture to him this morning, and we both started laughing. And I'm like, "Well, you know, what's the difference in that kid?" you know, from three years ago to the kid now. And he looked at me and he goes, I hope I'm still the same kid, but I have a better feeling of who I am and that I do belong and that I can be successful here. He goes, that kid that was watching Corey Kluber that simulate a game, he goes, I was just hoping that I would get the nerve to say hi to him and shake his hand and ask him how he got there. I think those are the coolest stories to watch. So, you know, in a roundabout yeah. way, I'm, you know, I'm watching big league players. You kind of have an idea what the 26-man roster is going to be. But when you meet certain minor league dudes and you watch, and like from in Vegas, and I know a couple of these guys now, and they're guys that you're that are going to become household names. I'm not saying stars, um, but they're guys that, that I need to know because come June, July, August, or maybe next April, um, they won't be playing for Columbus or Akron. They're going to be Cleveland Indians, and um, so that's the coolest thing for me to watch. Um, or even like a guy like Framel Reyes, who's lost 15 pounds and hits balls 500 feet every day. That's the main thing you're looking at, but you you never know how that's going to correlate when the season starts. Yeah, um, I'm glad you mentioned it in the framework that you did because, um, you know, frankly, I wouldn't know Oscar or Shane if I saw him uh, tonight, uh, you know, out of uniform. But, like, when you come in and you're a pro, you know, you're in a new environment or um, you're making money for the first time or you don't know if you're going to make the team and make money. Right. And you go through this and you don't know if you have a role and you don't know your teammates and your trainers and the people who get you ready every single day and the coaches you have to go to when you're struggling or um, maybe need to go to bat for you if you do take off in spring training. Right. Like it's right. so it's so it, it can be a long, long. It can be longer than a year process for a lot of guys. Right. So they get comfortable and just it's the human element of until you're fully comfortable, maybe you don't reach that full athletic potential. Great. That's absolutely it. And I think for a guy like Bieber, he comes in this year and, and the team is like, hey, we're going to slow you down. You threw more innings than you ever thrown before. And he's like, no, 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 no. I need it. That's how I get ready for this. Like, and they're like, well, no, no, no. You're not a double-A pitcher anymore. You know, <laughs> you know like you're not a triple-A pitcher. Yeah. Like we, we need 200 innings from you. We have to do this differently. Um, Zach Plesak is like that. You know, Zach Plesak last year left here. He left Arizona and he went to Akron and played in Akron and then came right to Cleveland. So, you know, and so I see the funniest part because there's so many guys. It's, and this is the interaction of guys that like all went to Akron together last year. And now they look at Aaron Savali, Zach Plesak, and Shane Bieber, and they're like, holy shit, you were my teammate a year ago. How do I, how do I get where you're at? You know what I mean? Like, you can see that. Like, the Tristan McKenzie's, like, there's these other young kids, pitchers, and these other players going, we were on the same team, you know, not that long ago, and now you're a star. How do I become a star? Um, not not so much a star. How do I become a big leaguer? Um, I think that's one of the cool things to watch, even with Lindor. Like, I watched Lindor come in, you know, and we all know what his career has been. But the first couple of years, very quiet, kept to himself, had a great – had the unbelievable personality. But he stood behind the Brantleys. He stood behind the Kipnesses. He, you know, they, it was their team. I go on a clubhouse now, and it's reggaeton playing, and it's his voice. <laughs> like – it's his fucking clubhouse. Get used to it. <laughs> like it's, and that's changed over the last five years. Right. Right. No, that, that is interesting. All right. Um, we're going to get out of here. It is early in the week. 
Um, so hopefully we'll be able to regroup. Any more trips, or is it straight spring training now for you? I'm actually sneaking home Thursday night. I've got like two doctor's appointments Friday, and then I got a dance Friday night with my daughter, and then like we're turning right around after the dance and getting right back on a plane, and I'm bringing the knots to Arizona. Oh, gosh. Morning. All right, well, uh, we'll get together later in the week then and do this. Um, if you know me, you know I'm a college basketball junkie so these are some of my favorite weeks of the year um we are two weeks away from selection sunday and three from the tournament so uh we'll be talking about that if you just get on board with college basketball this time of year is fine welcome uh next week is the week where there's sports on tv almost every day at 11 a.m it's it's a good week so yes we thank you guys for listening but here um for tweeting but here's here it's like eight it's eight in the morning oh yeah joe varden last time i'll call up because last time I'll call out the, the athletic, I still need a new hat. Um, <laughs> uh, great job making LeBron and Zion be friends, Joe. That was a great article, and I mean that. <laughs> you can, like, I love watching somebody like LeBron. I'm only saying this because we know LeBron, and we know how LeBron works. It was funny. Joe wrote a great article about how they both kept saying that they hadn't talked to each other or knew each other. And I got off the plane last night from Vegas, and they were hugging each other, and LeBron was whispering into his towel to him, making sweet love to him. I, it's just To me, it's funny. And, and – go with this and i get it um i think the dynamic of star player and the guy that you're passing the mantle to easy for us to write about easy for us to talk about but just like in anyone else's life it's hard to pass that along when that's all your life has been right i don't blame lebron for having for making rules to it michael jordan didn't just open his door and let him walk in kobe didn't just open his door and let him walk in um i'm not saying you got to bow to the king uh, but sometimes you got to bow to the king. Yeah, sometimes yeah, in you every do. realm of life. So, well, I'll, I'll just say this: I, I've seen the article. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I was able to watch most of that game last night, and that performance uh, by twenty three got me real excited Ooh. for the NBA playoffs because that was freaking incredible. It really wow, was. we got we got Zach to admit that he's hyped for the playoffs. And, and another playoffs. thing, speaking of the you other know- guys, Zion. You can go ahead and sign me up right now for the NBA ticket next year because he is that fun to watch. He is. He really is, man. I'm glad. I'm just glad to hear this. I'm happy to hear you finally have kicked the bucket. And you're right. It, it must be Mark. <laughs> Zach likes all basketball, not just the ones with little white kids that'll be lawyers in five years. <laughs> this is March. <laughs> <laughs> this hey, is March. Uh, in March, it's a great time February. to. Uh, it's a great time to log on to AmericanFireworks.com, go to the coupons section, and uh, start thinking about May when you can shoot them off. Thanks to American Fireworks. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to Scene. Thanks to Honeymoon. For Andre, I'm Zach. We will talk to you soon on A to Z.